Welcome to Nourish MD, Doctor Dietitian Dialogues, where doctors and dietitians empower you about your health and discuss and provide a better path to health and wellness. Proudly presented by Concierge Medical Practice, Private Physicians Medical Associates, PPMA, with your hosts, registered dietitians and nutritionist, Lauren Papanos and Romana Brennan. Welcome to Nourish MD. Today we are joined by our very own Dr. Davis, and we are going to be talking about sleep. My name is Lauren Papanos. And I'm Romana Brennan. And I am Dr. Bill Davis. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us about sleep today. Happy to do so. Sleep is incredibly important. Yes, it is. So for anyone who hasn't tuned into our first podcast episode, can you tell us a bit about your background and your journey to joining the PPMA team? Absolutely. Happy to. Uh, I am a husband and father to a 15-month-old girl named Olive, who I love. <laughs> um, it's my and- dog's name. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, and I uh, am also the newest partner for PPMA. Um, I grew up in Orange County in Laguna Hills, and then I went on to be a proud Bruin attending UCLA and studying neuroscience. Uh, and then after that, I went to UCLA again to their School of Medicine. After that, I went to Cedar sinai where I studied and specialized in internal medicine. Um, following my training, I went to various fields of work, including hospital medicine and research. And it was during that time working that I met with doctors Van Meter and Weiss. And after spending some time getting to know them and them getting to know me, they invited me to join PPMA as their new partner. Amazing. Well, I can't think of anyone better to talk about sleep than someone that studied neuroscience, right? So, <laughs> as we know, the benefits of sleep on the brain, for sure. Absolutely. So, awesome. Well, maybe you can just start off and tell us why is sleep so important for our overall health? Yeah, sleep is it's an interesting phenomenon, right? We, for about a third of our life, we lose consciousness and, and leave ourselves completely vulnerable. And it seems like a very strange thing for any animal to evolve to do, and yet we see it so pervasive throughout the animal kingdom. Um, and that's because sleep really is absolutely crucial to our daily function and maintenance. Um, it plays a role in it's hard to think about any you know, role that it doesn't have a substantial impact on. Um, so, for example, our physical restoration, any sort of repair of muscles, tissues, organs, it is in overdrive when we are sleeping. Even cell repair, things like removing um, free radicals and oxidants and things that help to maintain our longevity and our rejuvenation are, are common in, in, <laughs> are found throughout sleep. Um, it also plays a role in our mental health. It plays a role in consolidating memories and allowing us uh, to develop our emotional regulation and maintain um, mental clarity throughout the day. It also is absolutely important for our immune system support. Um, if we find ourselves lacking in sleep, we become more prone to illness and disease. And I think very crucially and often sort of under-recognized is its role in hormone regulation, which in addition to affecting things like our emotional state, also affect other types of aspects of our health, like weight and insulin resistance and predisposition to things like diabetes and obesity. Yeah, thank you so much for going into all of the ways that it's so crucially important for so many systems in our body. Um, so what do you find are some of the most common issues that your patients experience related to sleep in particular? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Insomnia, certainly, I feel is a very common thing, especially in this day and age with the prevalence of 
readily available screens and the blue light. And So what are some of the most common issues that you see among your patients related specifically to sleep? It's a good, that's a very good question. Uh, sleep is a very common problem for people, um, especially in this day and age with the prevalence of screens and cell phones and many people being on their phones right before they go to bed. Uh, insomnia is an incredibly common issue that people deal with. Um, other types of uh, disorders and issues that arise are things like circadian rhythm disorder that's very commonly found in patients who are dealing with shift work and having frequent changes in their sleep schedule and their work schedule. Um, sleep apnea as well is an incredibly common, one of the most common sleep breathing disorders that uh, are found in patients and has a tremendous impact on our sleep quality and other aspects of our health. And then one that doesn't always come up as often, but which I do see in a lot of my patients is restless leg syndrome, um, which can make it very difficult to fall asleep comfortably. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned sleep apnea as well, because I know that we wanted to touch on that today as well, because there's such a, obviously all these sleep conditions play a big role in someone's weight and their energy and the nutrition choice they even make. We know that sleep deprivation increases hunger hormones and may you know make it difficult for someone to, to eat on a regular intuitive schedule. So as it relates to sleep apnea, maybe you can just talk a little bit to the prevalence of sleep apnea. That's... Uh, sorry, happy to. <laughs> um, say that again? Yes, Got yeah, it. of course. <laughs> Maybe we can just talk to the prevalence of sleep apnea. Yes. Uh, obstructive sleep apnea, there, well, there are two types of sleep apnea, I guess, first is worth noting. There is the most common type, which is obstructive sleep apnea, and then there's a less common form of sleep apnea called central sleep apnea. I'm guessing we're going to focus a bit more on the obstructive side of it. It's, the, I think, the issue that patients more commonly deal with. Um, and it's more common in men than in women, and as many as one in four men have some degree of obstructive sleep apnea, and then it's more about one in eight women have some degree of sleep apnea. That's fascinating. Can you talk a bit more about how that specifically impacts people's health when they're dealing with obstructive sleep apnea? Yes. Um, like we talked about, sleep plays a huge role in our health and our ability to regulate various hormones and aspects of our health. Um, sleep apnea causes frequent awakenings, um, whether recognized by the patient or not. Many events happen throughout the night when someone has obstructive sleep apnea that interrupts the quality of their sleep and diminishes the ability of sleep to play its crucial role in our health. Um, and one of the very common side effects of that diminished sleep and of sleep apnea is issues with hormone regulation, as we've kind of touched upon um, a predisposition to diabetes, to metabolic syndromes, to weight gain, to issues of diet and um, appetite regulation is very common. There has been a study that found that over the course of five years, a patient with sleep apnea has about a 12% chance of developing diabetes. Um, and that gets even worse as the sleep apnea becomes more severe. Um, in addition, sleep apnea has been tied to issues of inflammation, vascular disease, strokes, heart disease, hypertension. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of conditions that sleep apnea can really set the stage for, I suppose. Are there any risk factors that may predispose someone to developing sleep apnea? Yes, there is a strong correlation between sleep apnea and weight. Um, Obstructive sleep apnea, as the name implies, has to deal with an issue of obstruction in the airway. And so when patients have 
uh, in excess in their weight, then it can lead to uh, some more tissue developing in those regions. And when our muscles relax while we're sleeping, particularly during, cer particularly during certain phases of our sleep, uh, as the muscles relax, that tissue starts to weigh down and can narrow our airway, predisposing us to obstructive episodes that can cause these interruptions in our sleep quality. So this is nothing that can be driven through genetics. There is certainly a genetic component as well. There are patients who have obstructive sleep apnea without any of the weight associated risk factors. Um, and it is a higher association that someone will have sleep apnea if they had my numbers with sleep apnea as well. So what might be some warning signs that someone may be experiencing sleep apnea and how, to, how a patient might investigate that further if they suspect that they might be experiencing sleep apnea? I think it's helpful to think about obstructive sleep apnea and most disease processes in terms of the way that they affect our life and our quality of life. And so one of the first signs that you might have obstructive sleep apnea and that it might be to the point that it warrants investigation and possibly treatment is if you start to have the symptoms associated with it, the most common of which is excessive daytime sleepiness. If you are getting ostensibly an appropriate amount of sleep, and still finding yourself extremely sleepy through the day, having to take multiple naps or get a longer than typical amount of sleep and still not feeling rested, then that means that you may be dealing with something happening while you're sleeping that you're not recognizing like obstructive sleep apnea. Discover the wellness you deserve. At Private Physicians Medical Associates, PPMA, you'll receive personalized premium preventive care and one-on-one -on -one medical attention with an emphasis on prevention, nutrition, and wellness. Extended office visits, appointment availability, 24-7 physician access, limited patient enrollment, PPO insurance and Medicare accepted. This is concierge medicine. This is medicine the way it should be. Call today for a free consultation at 949-566-8179. Um, to go to a more extreme example, if anyone has an uh, episode of a motor vehicle accident that arises because of sleep issues, that I would say should be considered a bit of a red flag and certainly warrants further workup and a, a strong consideration that you may have some type of sleep apnea. Beyond that, you also look out for any other kind of secondary symptoms. And if you have a couple of these, it, it would warrant at least discussing with a specialist to determine if there is anything that may warrant investigation. Um, symptoms like that would be frequent snoring uh, on a regular basis. Uh, any episodes witnessed by a person who observes you sleeping and notices any episodes where you either stop breathing or, um, or have any type of choking type episodes. Um, the other aspect would be sort of the more subtle ways that sleep apnea can affect our health rather than the direct signs of sleepiness or snoring. Um, some people primarily present with their sleep apnea in the form of other medical conditions. So some patients develop things like resistant hypertension that doesn't respond well to medications, um, polycythemia where their red blood cell count goes up in an unexplained fashion, um, or episodes of what we call pulmonary hypertension, which is a different kind of systemic issue compared to standard traditional hypertension. Wow. So there's a lot of implications that sleep apnea can have. And you mentioned that one of the telltale signs is obviously fatigue during the day because you're not sleeping well, and then also snoring or choking. And maybe someone that lives with a partner or sleeps with a partner may notice that that's happening in yes, someone's sleep, yes. right? And that may warrant them to come in and see you to investigate, is there sleep apnea? 
happening in their situation. Maybe you can walk us through what that generally looks like for a patient who comes into the office, is dealing with difficulty sleeping, or knows that they're having sleep obstruction, feeling really fatigued. What is your next step when that patient comes in? Usually when someone comes in with symptoms that might be uh, suggestive of sleep apnea, uh, I first look for the degree, again, that it's affecting their quality of life, their day-to-day function. And if someone is having it affect their function, I have a fairly low threshold to start in, you know, performing some investigation. It's very difficult to get a sense of whether or not someone has sleep apnea just by observing them in their waking time. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, you know, in addition to having lab based sleep studies, we nowadays have home-based sleep studies, which is often our first line of evaluating patients for sleep apnea. And the convenient thing about that is they'll send some kind of kit to your home that has instructions on how to set it up, you go to sleep, and then that data gets transmitted in a way that we can evaluate and look for signs of sleep apnea. That's fascinating. So it sounds like we've come a long way with how we can determine if someone has sleep apnea and really get to the bottom of it and apply the appropriate treatment. Absolutely. It used to be that every patient had to schedule months in advance to go to some lab and sit in an uncomfortable hospital bed in order to get their testing done. That still is done from time to time if we really need to get every single piece of information. But for most patients, um, we can at least start with something like a home study, which is much more convenient and comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like us to zoom out and go back to the topic more so of sleep as a whole. Um, Mm -hmm. We touched on sleep deprivation very briefly, but I would like to refocus on this aspect, um, the sleep sleep deprivation and the role on the body. Can you just discuss with us um, some more of the negative effects of sleep deprivation in general? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, As we kind of talked about all the benefits of sleep and the way it plays a role in so many aspects of our body's function, you can imagine that when that gets impaired, we start to just break down in many ways all throughout our body. Um, So with regard to our ability to build back our tissues and cells, that will be diminished. We might be more prone to infection. We'll find ourselves with less clarity, more emotional dysregulation, more uh, predisposition to mood swings. In a very severe episode, people have hallucinations or delusions. Um, Touching upon the hormonal side of things, you already kind of mentioned that we have hormones that affect our appetite suppression, our appetite stimulation, and those can be very dysregulated when we have sleep disruptions. Um, uh, The leptin that acts as an appetite suppressant can have low levels, so we're less effective at being able to, you know, withhold ourselves, prevent ourselves from overeating, and then ghrelin, which is an appetite stimulant, can be spiked to higher levels during uh, episodes of sleep deprivation. And if someone knows that they are having difficulty with falling asleep or staying asleep, what are some initial strategies that they can try to be able to help provide all of these benefits you're mentioning? It's one of those things that's very easy to say and very hard to do. <laughs> I think we all know that you know you're supposed to try and avoid too much screen time before bed. Um, I think being able to identify a good routine is absolutely crucial, and it's much like exercise or many other good habits that we try to build in our lives. It's about starting small and making progressive incremental improvements that can eventually manifest as substantial health benefits. Um, So having a sleep routine, having a time not just that you're trying to go to bed, but a time that you start getting ready for bed. 
and then having a set routine about how you go about doing that and avoiding overly stimulating um, activities that might make it difficult to fall asleep. Um, some other things that I mentioned to patients, if they're trying that and still struggling, there are some more subtle things that can have an impact on our sleep that you know aren't as obvious as a routine. Um, avoiding spicy foods is actually a very good option, especially for patients who ever experience heartburn. When we go to sleep and lie flat, it is that much easier for the acid in our stomach to reflux. And even if you don't notice the heartburn, if you don't wake up from heartburn, you can still have your sleep disrupted and have issues with um, your quality of sleep um, if you have spicy food and you're having episodes of reflux throughout the night. Um, even, you know, even things like alcohol, people tend to think of it as something that helps you get sleepy, but it does, also, it does have an impact on our sleep cycle. And so even if you're able to fall asleep easier, the quality of your sleep, your restfulness when you wake up can be impacted negatively. And maybe we can talk more about the sleep cycle in terms of what is the optimum amount of sleep that we should be getting, and if you can dive into the sleep cycles and how that impacts the optimal time that we should be sleeping throughout the night. Yeah, it's... For the vast majority of people, the typical recommendation is seven to nine hours. There is some variance, you know, between different individuals of, you know, whether it's seven hours or eight hours and so forth. If you're talking about adolescents or children, we definitely recommend a bit more sleep, closer to eight or nine hours um, of sleep per night. Um, there are some instances of people who have different sleep requirements. Um, there have been some studies that identified certain genetic markers that make people what they call natural short sleepers, people who just, even when they're at their best and, and doing everything right, they just do not need um, more than six hours of sleep or so per night. I wish I was one of those. Mm -hmm. um, In med school? Yeah, that would have been good. I think I was getting six hours of sleep, but I should have been getting more. Um, but I think it is worth mentioning that it is fairly uncommon. So I think a lot of patients consider themselves to be short sleepers and it may be that they have other issues that are inter interacting, sorry, affecting the quality of their sleep. Mm -hmm. um, conversely, some patients, you know, end up sleeping far more than that seven to nine hours range. And I think that if someone is doing that for an extended period of time, um, or if they're needing, you know, more than nine hours of sleep at night and naps during the day, it may be worth discussing with a healthcare provider because there may be something else going on that is affecting the quality of your sleep. So, you know, there obviously are different strategies, like you mentioned, that people can implement at home. And maybe someone listening has tried these strategies and really feels like they need that extra step of support and needs to investigate this topic further. Where can they learn more about your resources and about maybe becoming a patient of yours? Yeah, um, we love to try and focus on the whole picture of a patient here at EPMA. Um, one of the benefits of our the structure of our practice is that we have the time to be able to discuss these personalized and thorough plans about lifestyle changes beyond just using medications to try and address these kinds of issues. Um, the best way to find resources in an easy way would be our website, which is at privatemds.com. Um, we also are here in Newport Beach, and if anyone wants to come by and visit and talk with us, we're always happy to do an initial consultation. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Nourish MD, Doctor Dietitian Dialogues. This podcast is intended for general educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice. 
please consult with your health care provider before beginning any nutrition or supplement recommendations. Sign up for our mailing list so you'll never miss an episode of our wellness journey. See the podcast description for the link.